Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Scratch Cinema Podcast. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Cornell. Hello, Cornell. Hello. Cornell wonders, is fleet conjugated like tweet? I fleet a photo. You fleeted a meme. They fleet a screenshot of what was supposed to be a private conversation out to the world. How would you go about refleeting a fleet? <laughs> I had to. That was my favorite one. <laughs> you know? I I still would like to know, like, is it is it just a noun? A lot of people have been treating it like a noun. But I mean it's it's one of those things where it's a made up word though. There's no like rules that it followed. Like we're in just they you can make up whatever word you want. It's like the book Frindle. Uh, Did you ever read that as uh, a kid? I didn't, but all words are made up. Stay woke. I know we've had this conversation. <laughs> but I don't saying. think it follows any rules. It's a made up social media trend that they're trying to chase other companies in. So it doesn't matter. But I mean it, that means that it should eventually follow some rules. That I just I'm just trying to figure out which rules exactly because we've already decided that it is a noun. <laughs> like, but also people will be like, Fleet saw it first. So is it also like a like proper noun like instagram <laughs> you heard it here first with fleets yeah exactly <laughs> anyhow um hope you guys are fleeting all sorts of cool pictures <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll fleet a promotion fleet. for this podcast <laughs> <laughs> speaking of fleeting cool pictures i they probably put it on fleet uh patty jenkins the director of the upcoming wonder woman movie posted that it's coming at christmas it's going to be in theaters on december 25th and on hbo at the same time but the kicker is it's not going to be like uh mulan where you have to pay an additional fee on top of the subscription which to me reaffirms that that did not work and no one did it um or not enough numbers to justify it um, and what I think they're probably trying to do is just get people to subscribe to HBO. But it was supposed to not come out until next year. And I wasn't particularly interested in it. I do like Patty Jenkins as a director, just not superhero movie director Patty Jenkins. But I don't know. We we were talking before that the other Wonder Woman movie was kind of an event. And even if you didn't particularly like it, it was a thing people talked about for a long while. But now this is like... I, I feel like it'll have less lasting cultural impact, memory-wise. I kind of feel the opposite of, though, the first one was definitely an event, and I didn't particularly like it, even though I saw it in theaters. I will not be risking life and limb to see this one in theaters, neither should you guys. Um, but I think it will be more of an event, because there are so few films coming out this year that it seems like every single one is both like in defiance of a pandemic and also it just has less competition. So, you know, when you talk about 2020 and the movies that came out and the movies you liked, it's going to be a pretty short list. Yeah, but I think that allows for more movies to kind of to grow and to move in, like your your first cows, a bunch of other good stuff. I mean, I, I agree, but I think as far as like blockbusters that already are going to have that sort of appeal to the masses i feel like it's already going to draw a lot of attention and just in doing that it's going to be a big deal i think it still has to be good for people to be interested in it though you don't think i so? feel like the last one proved that it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> all right shots fired already going against the old i didn't think it was terrible I just think uh, she like, opened the movie by freeing the slaves and there's a whole shopping montage in there for no reason it was for comedic value. And that's that we're not even getting to the plot and <laughs> all those problems. There were some fun visual sequences. I didn't say it didn't have any merits, but it was all in all a lackluster event. That's fair. That's fair. Something you suggested, Quinnell, that we're going to talk about is a movie that is not by any means lackluster and, in fact, was one I quite liked. Would you like to introduce what the, the movie you picked this week was? week we watched um netflix original his house which is a horror movie i know spooky season is over i'm supposed to be getting into christmas and jingle it's never really over. good but um <laughs> his house was terrifying it was beautiful. really unsettling yeah tell me what you liked about it 
I liked, uh, and this is going to be a weird comparison. I know people don't like when you compare one movie to another, but it reminded me a lot of the movie Relic. And the reason I felt a lot of connection is that it mostly takes place in one house, a lot of unreliable perspectives and characters, but was like very effectively unsettling. And then the more you learn about the characters, it, it, it works as both a drama and a horror. I connected with the characters. I thought the building of everything was really good. There's one specific point which we can get toward towards the end where I like had to get up and walk around because I was like, that was a gut punch of a, a revelation that makes everything in retrospect really upsetting. <laughs> but I thought it was really, really good. And the fact that it was a feature length debut by a director, I was like, this this was efficient. They made good use of the house. It's It's a different type of haunted house movie that I can't really find comparison to, except to Relic, which was about like a family dealing with a mother, potentially dealing with like early Alzheimer's. And like, it, it's, they're obviously very different and have their own specific things, but it was like a grounded emotional character study and character drama, while also I think being a pretty good horror movie. You did a good pick. I liked it. Thank and I've been you. hearing good things, so I was excited. What what did you think of it? Um, I loved it. You know me. I'm, I'm always still tentative towards scary movies. When I first uh, sent this to Chase, what I said was I saw this movie, and or I saw an ad for this movie, and I'd be interested in watching it for the podcast, but I think it might be too scary. Was it too scary? It, it was very close. It was not too scary, but it was definitely one of the most actually scary horror things that we watched. Because I feel like a lot of times I go in with the expectation to be scared and, you know, it just doesn't happen. I'm like, oh, this is a spooky concept, but I see why some people would be frightened by this. Like Bly Manor, I didn't think was particularly actually scary. Like I didn't feel terrified. This movie is truly terrifying. It's, it's gripping. And there, I don't know, I just feel like there's a use of a lot of elements, sort of like the gaze element specifically that is just really scary throughout the film. Um, that revelation. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Um, so in the movie, the house is haunted not only by this, I don't know, monster, witch sort of creature, but also these sort of ghosts of all of their past. So they're, they're suffering with survivor's guilt. Because they're a refugee couple that has been settled in this new house. And in England. They, they slowly begin to realize that there's a lot of bad stuff in the house. Yeah, there's, there, there's something in the house. Um, and it didn't come with the house. It came with them, actually. Which is and... interesting. I liked that twist of it, where it was like they brought it to the house. And no, no matter if they ran from the house, it would still be there. Yeah, the house isn't haunted. They're haunted. Um, but through, throughout the film, he sort of is fighting with these creatures that seem to live in the walls, and he destroys the walls, really. <laughs> he just really chases through the night. Yeah. He does. There are, are holes all throughout this sort of barren and what was kind of like a shitty townhouse to begin with. Um, it was very beat up, very ragged, and yeah. But as they're haunted, the sort of like faces and gazes of all of these people that they're feeling guilty about having outlived sort of just appear in the holes. And, you know, he's mostly haunted at night, but his wife seems to be more haunted during the day. Um, mm -hmm. And hers doesn't seem to be as threatening. I suppose it's because her... The culpability sin or whatever it is that she's atoning for isn't yeah. as serious as his but even then i think the broad daylight like the there's a scene where you can see all of the faces in the daylight and the sort of ghost of her daughter we'll put air quotes around the daughter um <laughs> sort of dropping the necklace it's it's so much eerier that she's just sort of sitting on the couch watching all these people watch her li try to live this life right it's it's really good, and what I liked about it is the fact that they were having such different experiences, and like mm -hmm. they would kind of explain it to each other, but the fact that they were only seeing their own fears and things manifesting was really interesting. And also, there were all these subtle things, because we won't get into the exact detail of it, but they didn't make it to England unscathed. They lost their daughter. They were coming across from 
originally Sudan. Why? Can't we spoil Sudan. it? <laughs> Wait one minute because I wanna I wanna okay. explain why I think it's effective first. And okay. she is constantly walking around, and there's this repeated thing where she'll see someone pushing an empty baby carrier, and it happens a lot. And it's like still subtle enough to where you're like looking around at all these other things going on. But every time it happens, it just was like a very effective image that she was being haunted by. And it makes me think a lot of what they were seeing was very unreliable um, mm-hmm. because of the things manifesting. And he didn't feel that same guilt over the loss of their daughter where she did. And that was sort of their central tension. And it was like you both understood why they were grieving and why they were going their own separate ways. But you still, like, they they both dealt with it very differently, but you were able to connect and understand both of them very well. I think I would like to push back on that a little because I do feel like he, he he's was He's still grieving. more culpable. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely more his fault, but I still think he felt the loss, and I think he just felt it differently because He was in denial was, of it. Well, I, not just that. I feel like there was a certain anger that came with his guilt that mm-hmm. didn't come with hers. And, I, you know, I think that anger was mostly turned inwards and you don't really see that until the end where he and really sometimes decides, outwards towards her too. Yeah. So yeah, towards her and trying to keep her trapped in this house. But this sort of moment at the end where he's decided that he's, he's willing to trade his life for this daughter air quotes that they lost um, and I, I don't, I don't really think that he's. I think he was even frustrated with her expressing that she, he, that he felt less guilty than she did. I just think that his guilt was different because he was completely sure that it was his fault, mm-hmm. and her guilt was personal, but also towards him. Like you brought this girl with us, and we're we're dancing around it. We'll we'll give a blanket spoiler. You should see this movie. I think it's quite good. I think it was one of the surprises of the year for me and I thought it was really really fantastic. I think if okay. you guys really want to be surprised, you should just like stop right here and then come back and listen to the rest later. I'm just saying. Okay, it's what, a is really, really good twist. what is the thing you've been at? What is the thing you've been at for the past week? Hinting long time? At that their daughter is not their daughter. Um, but it's not that she never existed, which you know could be a way for you all to read my hints. Um, but that they basically kidnapped her to escape the sort of turmoil that they were facing. So they need to get onto this bus. And they, they said, okay, we're not taking any more people onto the bus. We're only taking, unless there's a child, if there's a child, then we'll take them. And they just sort of see a child. Sorry. That is with them in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, a child that's with them in the crowd who seems to have lost their parent they don't have a parent in the immediate vicinity so they just decide to take her and to use her to get onto this bus and now they have a child and the mother feels responsible for actually protecting this child as her own and then the daughter dies when they're crossing the sea and it really got me when i because you you think it's almost a little bit more straightforward of like parents dealing with the loss of a child which is like a very common thing in horror movies but this made it so much more complex and I didn't like when they're all like waiting outside because they they flash back where she tries to leave the house but then it's like her going to a different time and space and they're walking by themselves and I was like oh this is after they've already lost their daughter but no, it's that this is before they've lost their daughter because their daughter isn't their daughter and they take it from someone else. And that moment where they're going away on the bus, that's where I was like up and walking around like, nope, this is this is. I awful. feel like it's a gut punch for me. Um, there's a flashback at the beginning where they're sort of giving you that original exposition about the daughter where she sort of holds her on the back of this truck and she tells her that she'll protect her. And the first time you see it, it's just sort of like a sweet mother-daughter interaction where she's like, we're going into this really difficult thing and I'll take care of you. And then when you realize that she's not their child and that this little girl is basically hearing this, I'll protect you from a stranger. Which is And really they show upsetting. the scene again. It is so very upsetting. That and then when she has the, the initial flashback and she sort of sits down with all these people in her past and she asks them where her daughter is and they're like you don't you don't have a daughter like not in this time this this space that you're revisiting you don't have a child so and i don't know i guess 
them dealing with that trauma, it feels as if for a lot of the film that she doesn't that she doesn't really recognize that it wasn't her daughter. Like not until that moment. Like both the audience doesn't know, but also until that moment she hasn't really come to terms with the fact that they kidnapped a child and then they lost her and it wasn't their kid. It's devastating. Like, they even tell the immigrations people that they lost a daughter. Because they've had to convince themselves that that yeah. is what happened. It's easier to stomach that than admit that they did something really horrible and almost unforgivable. And like you understand it. And like part of the trick is that like you've gotten to know these characters and sympathize with them. And for them retroactively it to be that they were bad people, but trying to do something to survive, does that make them bad? I don't know. It was very complex, but still, still effective. And I was like, oh, it was good. I, I think this is one of the favorite ones we've talked about where I just had heard a lot, but tried to go in knowing very little. And it, it caught me off guard. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a real, a real twist. Um, do you want to talk about because there's also this this tension between them about assimilation and whether they want to become a part of this new world and what they have to leave behind in order to do so and they both come at it from very different places he is like we got to do it like and sort of is like trying to put on a happy face about it like he's almost like laughing to himself but it's like almost like very sad and she's like no this is this is not really what I want. I don't think this is necessary, especially because they're in their own home. Like the dinner scene in particular, where like he's like, let's use silverware. And she's like, nope, this tastes like metal. And I was like, yeah. yeah this is... <laughs> I... Okay, I, I mean, I really enjoyed the sort of aspect of this, of assimilation, because they are also trying to get used to this house and this house is full of ghosts. And it just all feels like one really complete message. Um, but in addition, I feel like it also interacts with the different kinds of grief that they have. Like he's trying to sort of leave the past behind, start a new life. Let's not think about all of those other things, but they're haunting him anyway. And she's like, you know, I actually, I think the past should be acknowledged and maybe we shouldn't abandon everything about ourselves to fit in here. But her grief is sort of the same way that, you know, she wants this past back. Mm-hmm. That that would, that would be preferable like even when she tries to run away and she experiences this flashback at first she's really happy she's just happy to be back home until she realizes that home isn't home and home is gone um and there's no going back like they're they're too far gone in some ways yeah he definitely is displays a lot of that sort of painful crying situation that you kind of see and get out um it's very different though. Like there's, I don't think it's, it's comparable to a get out type story. Cause it's much more about them coming to some sort of understanding as a couple, whereas get out the betrayal of the couple is one of the most fundamental parts of it. Like both Absolutely. these people are flawed people, but they're trying to work it out together. Absolutely. I think it's more the, the specific part of just being um, trapped in a space. that's not yours. I guess I think most of like the, the grandmother character in get out, who's in this woman's body, but she's always crying while she smiles. Um, The scene where he's in the, I guess, the immigration office, and they give him this glass of orange juice, and they ask how he's doing. They're like, oh, you look terrible, and you smell terrible, and seems like maybe it needs to be investigated. And he sort of starts laughing, and he breaks the glass in his hand. I felt like there was, I mean, obviously the plots are really different, but I feel like there's a a similar motif there regarding Mm -hmm. using laughter to cover this sort of internal pain because there was a lot of that there was a lot of they need to get some sort of therapy because <laughs> i was yeah. i was experiencing just like immense emotional like attachment to them but it's like everything is so broken but they're they're only given a stipend that i think i did the conversion is less than a hundred dollars for like a week which ends up being like $400 a month, which is month. not enough to really... It's enough to eat and that's it. Basically, but he starts spending money on other things a little obsessively, like equipment to begin like remodeling mm-hmm. the house, coming from like a little bit of an obsessive thing. They're being haunted. They weren't doing a lot of eating. 
Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's what also threw me is like just how much time has passed because it feels like it could be as short as like a couple weeks or as long as several months mm-hmm. of them just going through all of this. But it like also the sound where you would hear voices in the dark. It was uh, it was technically very noise, good. That that ringing noise really um, was really unsettling for me. How so? Which which one is it? The because they don't have a phone. What ringing noise? Are no, you no. There's something. Oh jeez, I should rewatch it. There's a scene at the beginning where she's he's first starting to be haunted. And it's like he hears his ears ringing. Mm-hmm. And that happens to me sometimes. <laughs> it's, but it's really, really unsettling for it to have been so loud. And it's trying to have this conversation. And it's like he can't hear anything over the sound of his own mind, <laughs> his own wheel spinning. And it's just really unsettling. That it's almost like completely all-consuming, drowning everything out. Absolutely. And that's the thing that. I appreciate. Because oftentimes in horror movies, especially like, Obviously, this is not a haunted house, but where it's a house that's being haunted, they're like, well, why don't you just leave? Like, they should just get out of there. And you, in your head, are like, that's stupid. But in this, they can't, can't. for one, leave. There's nowhere else for them to go. This is all they have. And two, it would follow them. Like, when they go on Mm -hmm. walks, it's still there. It sort of is, like, occupying the house, but I think that's only just because they're in it. Which Mm -hmm. does kind of make me wonder if it was, like, waiting for them to get comfortable. Because obviously, they weren't uh, like immediately moving into this house there was a time where they were in sort of like a boarding home temporarily before they could get approved which it didn't seem to bother them then he was having some nightmares but it wasn't nearly as excessive as this where like they can't even spend a day without something something happening like a peach rolling by and then something grabbing it and it's like all right absolutely well i feel like she kind of she kind of tries to give a a description of that when she's talking to him over dinner the first time and she's Mm -hmm. just sort of like telling this this sort of folk tale Mm -hmm. about trying to move away from your problems so you think it was them moving into this house that was like that trigger of it yeah that it was supposed to be their actual home that they are trying to settle somewhere as opposed to before when they're you know, in the the sort of in between place, they haven't claimed this space, and for for the first time, they've decided that this is their new home, and that it's going to be. And you know, especially you know, as you said about the assimilation aspect, he really feels like okay, this is our fresh start. We're one of the good ones. He says a few times repeatedly. Um, yeah. yeah, so he's really trying to to make the most of the situation. But I feel like it's that sentiment that is it's triggering for this sort of witch or monster like oh you think that you're just going to be free of your past and all of this no (laughs) good try but no i think i think it requires and it's mostly coming from him that he's trying to be in denial and the fact that she has sort of come to terms with it makes it less aggressive towards her in some ways but i also think it does have to do with the culpability as well in that he was the one that took the girl and she didn't stop him but wasn't directly doing it like she still was involved in it but it wasn't directly on her shoulders i suppose ah they're but like they're both really good central performances too you didn't see lovecraft country but i didn't uh she's ruby in lovecraft country and i thought she was really good in that i didn't particularly love lovecraft country but I thought she was really, really good in this. I thought they were both really good. It was ugh. Matt Smith was really good too. <laughs> yeah, how so? Some work. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, he is just a minor character. I, I explain was his really, character. What is his role? Uh, so he's Mark, and Mark is um, basically the sort of immigrations officer who was saddled with. Uh, um, he's like a case manager. Yeah, if, yeah. If, case manager to answer their questions and he's who he's who brings them to the house and he's who they go to when they have a complaint um but he does this really effective thing where like when he's coming to him with concerns he's like i won't say this but other people will say oh you're not fitting in you're causing problems and i'm like that's such nonsense (laughs) i just think there's something about matt smith's demeanor um this might just also be my it's just dr good old doctor who attachment to him but that has 
sympathy while judging is I don't think that's something that every actor could just pull off. And Matt Smith does it so effectively. Like, I'm not judging you. Others would judge you. I'm being nice. But not but me. Others might not be. <laughs> Which is like. And you not... believe both sides of it. I mean, I don't think he's really fooling anyone because when push comes to shove, he starts to really judge them. Yes, absolutely. But they are also um, banging holes into walls and whatnot. It's not like they're doing things that are would be considered sane. This woman thinks that there's a witch in the house, and as a result, he's been destroying the building. Yeah, but he never comes to them with compassion. He never is well, like, oh, it sounds like we should do something to support you. It's more like, oh, let's cut our losses, is what he almost threatens them with. Absolutely. Well, it's more that he threatens them with the possibility of having to cut their losses. He never says anything really blatantly that he wants them to leave. And even when he has this sort of interaction with um, the other caseworker when they come to investigate the house, and the other guy's like, ah, they can kiss England goodbye. But Mark never says anything like that explicitly. And I feel like they really make both aspects of his character really believable. Because when, you know, at the end, when they're no longer being haunted, he finally comes back and he sees that they're fixing the house. He seems almost a little proud and it's, it's unsettling as well. Like, oh, wow, you just ignored all of their complaints, but you're really happy that they figured it out. But it's like he was there for them when they put it all together, but wasn't there or supportive for them when they were at a crisis moment. Because again, exactly. even if he thinks that it's all in their heads, he didn't offer any services or support. It was always just like, well, you're causing some problems. Just got to button that up. Don't be, don't be causing problems. It's like, no. Exactly. But also I feel like there's a, his role as being both representative of himself and also representative of the system. Like he's not ever making any of these decisions alone. So when he says, oh, I wouldn't judge you, but other people might, he might be telling the truth. They are in a room full of people and all those people are looking very, very judgmental. He, did, he doesn't have any decisions that he can make by himself. And when he initially tells him that he wants to move, he's like, oh, okay, what's wrong with the house? And he's expecting a real complaint. And Bull can't tell him that it's haunted. So I just feel like there's, a, there's an interesting tension there between him being just like this mildly compassionate British man and also him being an agent of the state. Which I think makes it more scary because it's like in in a more straightforward type of movie with less nuance, it'd be just like, oh yeah, he's like cartoonishly evil. But the yeah. fact is there can be very damaging, borderline evil policies that are put in place with a smiling face mm-hmm. and with a nice Doctor Who get up yeah, and I'm just doing my job which is way the, basically the first thing he says is like I used to work a different job but I like that one now here I am you never are where you think you're gonna be so you should just make the most of it sort of energy <laughs> like yeah I hate where I am too buckle up oh <laughs> gosh <laughs> it's not at all comparable though like he's sort of trying to be like see no. we're, we're just buddies here and it's like nah I don't no, think it's so. not He's like, well, obviously, and also, you know, you as the audience know that not only is this guy just having a hard time or struggling to assimilate or dealing with racist neighbors, and those are all the things that he's having to worry about, in addition to the trauma that the office already knows about, in addition to actually being haunted by a monster. I want to speak about the neighbor really quick, the woman smoking with the cat. She's always in her window, and the cat's just also looking at him. Who is she? We don't learn Why much about she? anyone. She just sits at home and like glares at him. And the cat yeah. does too. I want to know how they got that cat to sit on that ledge all the time. <laughs> I don't understand her character. Um, besides just, I mean, I guess, I guess she's just sort of representative of this sort of ominous gaze from outside that they are, that they are outsiders. Mm-hmm. One that she's always in her house and she's always actually looking outside i feel like that's that one's a little bit on the nose and that she kind of tells him that he should just leave but at first i thought does she know their house is haunted like and then i realized that maybe it's just good old racism and xenophobia 
And do you want to talk about the scene where she goes trying to find the doctor and stumbles across the group of boys? Do you remember this one? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She discovered that um, <laughs> that it's not just race. That the fact that they are, they are foreign makes them outsiders in this place, even with these people that she thought might be more likely to help her. They like not only really don't sad. help her, they mess with her. They continue yeah. to give her different directions. They all three point in a different place. I was like, okay. She's being bullied. Yeah. And it was just that like their experience was that they probably been born here and grew up here. And so there mm-hmm. was still that anti immigrant sentiment that mm-hmm. came through. And it's just like but they also didn't I imagine have to. What, also when you're in that sort of situation and people might assume that you are an immigrant that it might strengthen that sort of xenophobia where people are like oh you know that sort of like go back to where you came from situation so then you you turn and you take that sort of aggression to people who actually came from somewhere and it's to almost create distance from them so you're like see i'm not like them it's again the i'm one of the good ones type of logic exactly it's really sad kids just didn't need to bully that hard they could have just been like oh yeah you just go that way and she was like walking around for a while too so that was like at the tail end of like her basically going through like different labyrinths and mazes of like seeing that same kid with the soccer ball i was like we see that kid with a soccer ball again he's gonna become the soccer ball i'd punt him and run because he's a demon kid it's scary it's unsettling because it's like very mundane sort of walking around including that's what i know her from okay what do you know her from uh the end of the fucking world Oh, was she in that? Oh, yeah, she was. She's a- You're right. She was good in that too. Oh, she's damn. really good in that. <laughs> I didn't watch the second season of that. That's no, that's what that's that's the part. She's in the second season. That's the season. Is she not in the first season? Mm, no, she's not. Okay, then I definitely no. She's like season. She's like one of the main characters in the second season. What is her character? What does she do? No, I um, think she's in the first season. I'm looking at it right now. It says it says uh, DC Terry, and it's 1.4 all the way through 1.8. So she's in the first season she... because she's the detective kind of yeah. I thought she was the one who was trying to murder them. What? Oh, then that's a spoiler for the second season. The, yeah, I'm sorry. She's. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to need to watch the second season. Yeah, I'm looking at the the one of the still photos for the first season. She's definitely the the detective in this one where she's like pursuing them. Okay. Okay, then maybe I'm thinking of the Naomi Athey's character who is trying to kill them. She also does a great a job. A lot of people are trying to kill them in that show. It's a good show. But no, she she's good in this. You're right. You're know. right. She's the detective. I can't think of any like sort of weak links in the story except that maybe again like there's the neighbor is kind of a little one note but that's okay because we don't need a lot of depth there there is just kind of this feeling that like the neighborhood is like very sinister at times but you don't see a lot of it it's mostly just like noises at night and obviously and a lot architecture and the architecture yeah did you oh what was the movie with jesse eisenberg where they were stuck in the place um it was like with it was like where they move into this neighborhood and then they're stuck there for like forever. Did you hear about this? <laughs> I I don't want to spoil it too much, but I think it was called like Valerium. No, Vivarium. It was this movie called Vivarium where they move into this neighborhood of just like identical houses and it's like a labyrinth and they like get dropped off there for a tour, but then their tour guide leaves and they're stuck there and they can't go anywhere. And I was almost expecting it this to be somewhat similar to that because when he goes to the barber shop and he asks the barber if they're in London, and do you remember what the barber says to him? Because he says something real weird. He's like, close enough or something. Yeah, like, yeah. What? Or like, sure, why not? Or something. And I like think it was like played as a joke, but when I heard that, I was like, wait a minute, where are they? <laughs> are yeah, they well, actually I, where? I actually figured they were just like in a suburb. Um yeah. Because, you know, I mean, I guess I guess living in a city that sort of has that sort of vibe where you're in Atlanta, but you're not in Atlanta. <laughs> and you would, <laughs> if anyone would, asked where you were from, you would say you were from the city. From Atlanta, yeah. yeah. Or uh, where are we? Yeah, we're in Atlanta. Uh, kind of. It's close enough. 
it just still was like very this feeling that like the neighborhood around them was scary for some reason Mm -hmm. and that like maybe they were being deceived and it's okay that they didn't go there because the the struggle ended up being a lot more internal in the house with their own emotional coming to terms with their past but i didn't trust anybody i was like nope nobody was trustworthy all the people when that scene you mentioned where he goes to the the place and breaks the glass in his hand all the people are just staring at him they're so weird oh and they also keep saying this thing where they keep referencing how big his house is which is that anti-immigrant resentment like oh you come here and like get all the good stuff from us overlooking the Mm -hmm. fact that he doesn't have the opportunity to make his own money the house is a mess like there's a lot of like rot and mold and it's very gross and dirty like to myself, they, you guys want to trade or what? Yeah, I was going to say, like, how about you t- You walk a mile in my shoes? Like, you come live here with the gross stuff. When he first shows up, there's the pizza, and there's just, mm-hmm. like, bugs, bugs. and packets. Oh, uh, what a great horror movie thing that they just always have to do. <laughs> I just always got to see bugs. They're so unsettling. It was also just to hammer home how much they didn't care. Like, they didn't mm-hmm. even do the most basic stuff of cleaning it out. Nope. And he was just like, just open the windows. It'll air out. It'll be fine. No. It's like a health disaster. hazard. You could and get you have to sick. be basically really, really determined to make this place. And they are. They they end up making it work, but it's not because this is the best place. It's because they don't really have any or other Or because options. anyone was welcoming at all. If anything, this monster was probably better at helping them settle in than any of their <laughs> any of the other resources. It's the only thing that they have any sort of agency in doing, even as they try to continually reach outside of their home for help. Yeah. And it was conquering that monster that had to come first. That was that was a prerequisite to settling in at all. Which the design of him was interesting, because I, I think the le- it's one of those things in a horror movie where the less you see of him, the more scary he is. Mm-hmm. Like, just his eyes and his voice. It reminded me of the last scene of The Witch a little bit, where you don't see him, but you hear a lot of his like very unsettling voice. And I think when you see him, it's still scary. Don't get me wrong. It's but not it's, scary. It's not as scary as when you're just hearing and imagining like this very sinister being preying on you. He reminds me a lot of the monster from um, Gerald's game. Oh, yeah. But that's not spoiler alert for Gerald's game that's largely all in her head yeah yeah but it's the one part that's not in her head this is a huge sorry oh yeah spoiled it before guys we've go back and listen to our Gerald's game episode anywho the monster in Gerald's game is she thinks is in her head and she thinks he's all made up and he is this sort of robber who's just terrifying looking and he finds it so amusing that she thinks that he's made up, that he just lets her live. Like, he comes and visits her every night, and she thinks that she's hallucinating, and he's just kind of, like, having a laugh. (laughs) And then when she finally, you know, gets out of this sort of trap that she's in, being handcuffed to this bed, and she finds out that he's real, and they're in court, and she's like, that's the guy, and he, like, mocks her. In her face, like, oh, I, I know you. You're not real. You're made of moonlight. He thinks it's so funny. And throughout, throughout his house, when you know, after you know, his face is sort of slowly revealed, I sort of had that same feeling where I was like, oh, I wonder if he's. I feel like there's this duality between him being in their heads and he can't touch them and he can't hurt them, and then all of a sudden he can. (laughs) What a similar monster in such dissimilar films. Are you saying his house is a sequel to Gerald's game? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> but uh, no, but I think that it takes a lot of really great elements from other horror movies. It yeah. definitely, definitely did their homework and have lots of cues to, and nods to other things. But Like the lights turning on and off kind of was like, I think it was lights out. Where it was like, again, a similar thing where it's like, it can only get you in the dark. But mm-hmm. what this did is they had it to where they can turn off the lights. At mm-hmm. least the one daughter can. And I was like, ah, darn it. Now yes. we're in real trouble. <laughs> that's terrifying. I was, like, I was like, all right, now we just never turn off the lights. We got mm-hmm. lamps on all the time. Yeah, that's but fine. Nope. But nope. And also in broad daylight. I know. Like they, I feel like they can really manipulate when they appear. And the point of their existence is to terrorize them. It's not just to, to, to try to get them. The point is for you to feel terrible and guilty about all of the things that you've done. And, and oh, 
another comparison to get out is that moment where he's just sort of frozen in fear within himself and is just stuck in this chair yeah and he like literally wets himself it's mm-hmm. pretty horrible and he's just sitting there with his eyes open just terrified Ugh. this is a it's... great movie you guys should all go watch it <laughs> I think that's the thing we just come keep coming back to is like there's so many like good elements that it's almost hard to cover them all. I'm sure we're forgetting some of the good ones, but it's it's really fun and interesting because like when I say fun, it's obviously very upsetting. But like when you're in it, <laughs> all of the stuff in each moment, I'm like, oh, that was a good one. Like I was able to still be like, that was a good scare. That that one got me. That was a good one. They do do a lot of sticking their arms in the wall. At a certain point, I'd be like, let's stop sticking our arms in the wall. Interestingly enough, not a lot of bad things happen when they stick their arms in the wall. Yeah, it's mostly like what triggers it because they're like, oh, now you're messing with us. It was good, though. I think it's probably one of the better movies of the year for me. One of the better horror movies in particular because I think horror movies are very particular and... I think up there with Relic, again, very similar, but like very good emotional stuff. It makes me really want to see more from the director and that this was a a feature debut was pretty impressive. What? Oh my God. Okay, so I'm trying to remember where I remember this actress, Mumi Masako, from. And I'm like, there is something that's actually memorable. So I thought the end of the fucking world because I looked it up. And I was like, okay, that's got to be it. I've seen that. And then you said that she was the cop and not the girl at the end. And I was like, okay, I'm mixing up female black characters. That's <laughs> that's embarrassing. <laughs> also, what do I actually know her from? And I figured it out. She's in my favorite episode of Black Mirror. It's the horror episode where she's where he's um, going into this sort of uh, simulation for the video game. Yeah. And she's sort of asking him all the interview questions and telling him to turn his phone off. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've seen that episode nine times. (laughs) That was a good one. This feels like it almost could be like a Black Mirror episode, except there's not really a technology aspect to it. Isn't that like the whole point of Black Mirror? No, because I feel like it's more about like the social emotional stuff. Like this is dealing with underlying tension around uh anti-immigrant sentiment and like assimilation and stuff like that yeah but black mirror there always has to be a black mirror and black mirror is Mm. always technology (laughs) just some of them it's like less important where it's like the technology is the impetus to then get to this emotional absolutely crisis they're really had that sort of level of poignancy and really came out of nowhere a very black mirror-esque way i know it still got me. I was like, oh, God damn it. Because I was already into it. It's not a movie that's like reliant on quote unquote the twist. It just was something that very much caught me off guard, but still was like this This enriched the story and brought it to a lot of a, a good conclusion that I'm going to be kind of thinking about and reflecting on. And one where if you watch it again, knowing everything, because they do do the flashback where then it's recontextualized. But if you watch it from the beginning, now every scene is going to be in that new context. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was good. I can't think of... Are, the only hang-up would be kind of, I guess, the end design of the monster slash which it's, it's a little... I, I was wondering how much of it was real, because I'm sure there were parts of it that were real, or they used a sort of model and then used some sort of effects on it. And that I'm not able to tell somewhat is pretty good, but I still was like, eh... Is this a bad costume or, or yeah, is this exactly. bad CGI? It's one or the other. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It just kind of it was a little bit more like, oh, okay. We're we're seeing the monster. Like we never got to talk about it, but Sweetheart, the the movie where she's trapped on the island. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. I did watch Sweetheart. When it's the fish face that like pops up through the bottom, I burst <laughs> out laughing. I was like, no. <laughs> You're when you were just right. this creature in the dark and like pulling stuff into the water, that was got terrifying. Me. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, whack a mole fish head <laughs> popping up, just like, hello. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, that movie was weird. It was. It was an interesting movie. I think this is like a, a better movie than that. And I don't even know if I want to call that one a horror movie, like because that was. It was like a creature movie. Mm-hmm. This had like a monster, but it was much more terrifying and scary to me. 
do you have any hangups with it or are you you pretty much like this was solid um yeah the monster design is was a little little campy um no i think i think i really i really enjoyed this the performances was were great there was no bad acting which is always a relief for me um <laughs> They really did a magnificent job, and everybody should go watch this. And also, go watch Black Mirror Playtest if you haven't seen it. If you like horror little episodes, it is the best one, and she's in it too. It's really, really good. Um, yeah. Any other closing thoughts on, on his house? Oh, whose house is his house? Who's that referring to? Oh, that's a great question. Mm, I think the witch. The witch? Okay. Mm -hmm. Why so? Do I explain? Um, because I think that there's a, a sort of juxtaposition between the title and between our main character role saying that it is um, it is his own house, but he says, like, this is my house. And so I feel like there's this sort of dichotomy between his house and my house. I agree. On that note, I'm going to talk about some new movies that are coming out or came out this week. In a world of new releases, it can be difficult to find out what is good and what isn't. That's why your host sorts through all the noise and chaos to find out what you should spend your time and money with. This is Cutting to the Chase. The first movie I wanted to talk about and recommend is this movie called Collective, and it's a documentary. And it's not going to be the most uh, breezy of things to pop on. It's about the fire that happened at a nightclub in Romania, the Collective nightclub. And I apologize if I mispronounced that. And basically the people that died following that, not just in the fire, but in the mismanagement that happened on like a absolutely astounding level of government uh, that was just widespread corruption and the journalists that, that found it and that, spent hours and hours and hours tracking down all this information to expose this like hugely corrupt apparatus of greed and it it's pretty incredible to watch i would really recommend it it's not it's like pretty painful because it's just one of those things where you feel the outrage of oh there was this accident that happened that was part of a mismanagement and people did pay for that but then the people who weren't taken care of and died unnecessarily on top of that is just really brutal. But it's really interesting. If you like journalism things, this is probably one of the better documentaries you're ever going to see. And it's they've nominated it for their uh, submission to the Oscars for this year. And I think it should at least get a nomination. It's, it's really fantastic. Um, then the next is a movie called The Nest that came out on digital this week. And it's with Jude Law and Carrie Coon, where they are a husband and wife, where Jude Law is like, I'm going to move back to England. And she's like, what? No, I don't think it's a good idea. And he's like, no, nah, it'll be fun. And essentially, it's about him living in this delusional world where he thinks he's a successful, wealthy person. And it's just about him pretending and his wife having to deal with that all the time and be the one that's the real pragmatic person that he has built this facade of success and wealth and all these things that he isn't and that he's finding a lot of self-value from, but that is like dooming his family, essentially. That is making them come secondary to all these things. It's really interesting and really good. Um, much more of a character study. It has the cinematic language of horror, but the horror comes very much from the father not from an actual being that's impacting things, even though they kind of do some misdirects on that. It's all mostly about him and his control and corruption and slow, dark descent. And it kind of has a hopeful ending. It's very strange, but it's like an acknowledgement of their honest situation for the first time. It's really good. I very much recommend it. And the last movie, Quinnell, maybe you've heard of this one. It's called Run. It's where Sarah Paulson has a daughter that she's taking care of. It's funny because there was this show this year called Run on HBO that came out that started out pretty good and then kind of really tapered off to a disappointing conclusion. But this is a movie where Sarah Paulson, and we have to be very careful how I talk about this, has a daughter who has many serious medical problems and is having to be taken care of at her home. She never really leaves. She doesn't go out much. She doesn't have many friends. 
but the daughter is very interested in going to college. She wants to go to UW. Um, and as she's getting there, she's beginning to learn things about her mother, whether everything is as it seems, whether what the medication she's giving her is, and sort of this building confrontation that you might have seen before, where it's like, mm -hmm. is this mother really someone that she can trust, who's taking care of her? I think it's good for most of it. I think the ending really sours it for me because it really loses a lot of the good faith and like really straightforward story that it was doing. I think it's notable because the main actress, it isn't that they've cast an able-bodied person to play this role. They have cast someone who can embody that performance and not have that role taken away from them. I think she does a really fantastic job. I, I think you can definitely feel that it's rated PG-13 because there are some moments where I'm like, oh, wait a minute, this is definitely not how that would look or feel. I'm not saying everything has to be gruesome, but you can hide it and kind of be a little more strategic and edit around it or show something off screen rather than show it and maybe like, that's not how that would look. Like, <laughs> if that, if yeah. that was happening, that'd be much worse than how it is. Absolutely. Um, but I still think it's pretty good. The ending, I feel like, is going to be divisive. Because it's like a shock ending of like, whoa, like the tables have turned. But I was like, nah, I think they could have ended like five minutes before or like almost five minutes after if they had like let it sit for a minute. Instead, it was like, oh, we got to leave everybody in their seats with like this wild thing. But I would still say it's really good. Sarah Paulson is pretty good. She's a very terrifying wine mom, essentially. And she's she's good. I would, I would recommend it. It's going to be on Hulu, I think, tomorrow and today when everyone's listening to it i think sarah paulson's really good as well i think she's she's been a lot of good stuff um she was in ratchet this year and i thought she was great even as i didn't think the show was <laughs> particularly good i think this is a better well-rounded type of thing that that suits her performance but yeah that's that's it for me um Cornell, is there anything you would like to share before we before we go um Nope, that'll be all from me this week. Um, and looking forward to talking to you guys about new movies and TV shows next week. Yeah, we'll probably be talking about uh, the small act series from Steve McQueen that I teased a little bit last week and whatever else is going on. Absolutely. Happy to talk to you guys and thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.